Hi, I'm Matt Phelan. And I'm Isabel Krebs. And this is our podcast, Working with Humans. Uh, why am I recording this podcast? Because I get to meet um, absolutely amazing humans in my life and I learn so much from them and I like to share their stories. So, um, where are we? We're sitting in my garden. It's probably the most English day you could imagine, isn't it? Uh, it's about half 11 in the morning. Um, I'm sitting here with Isabel. We haven't put sun cream on, but it is. Have you got sun cream I on? I actually have oh, got sun cream on, yeah. <laughs> so I probably should have done. I'm well prepared. Um, and timing it is mental health awareness week so we'll definitely touch a a bit on that today um so let me introduce my guest the weirdest thing is when i was uh writing your name down isabel i've realized that you're like beyonce as in no one's ever said that before (laughs) i had even though i've known you for probably about 15 years i had to check what your surname was really because you're just known as isabel to everyone aren't you oh wow well no actually i always thought i was known as isabel cripps yeah. Because my married name is Phillips, yeah. but I love the name Crips so much that yeah. I've always held on to it. And I think when people speak of me, they always speak of me as Isabel Cripps. So you've just blown that. Yeah, yeah. You just if anyone says Isabel, yeah. everyone knows who you Great. are. Great. Okay, that's good enough for me. Um, Happy with that. How would I describe you? I think two. I wrote down two things. Obviously, the Beyonce thing. Everyone knows who you are, <laughs> Isabel. But second, I taught her how to dance. By the way, did you actually? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm so gullible. Um, so, yeah, the two things that I always think about you is, number one, you're connected to everyone. So, I was we were talking about this the other night, you know, that there's the theory of third... Yeah. third what is it? Six for three, degrees of separation. Or three degrees or whatever. Or three, de- yeah. three degrees of separation. Yeah. There's all, I, I call it the... There's, it, you're always one person away from someone via Isabel. Oh, that's You great. seem to know everyone. <laughs> but the way that... Other, and I asked other people how they view you as well, because obviously everyone in the world knows you is you just bring so much energy to other people. So you know, like they say, some people can be like an energy sucker um, or like a drain of energy. You do the opposite. You just bring positive energy to everyone else. So that's how I see you. That makes me happy. I want to talk talk a bit about that. But that's, I mean, that's how I see you. I see you as someone who just knows everyone, um, but also just brings energy to to everything. Thank you. I'll I'll take that. I'm chuffed to be here with that. (laughs) So uh, introduce yourself, Isabel. So... um, um, yes, well, I, I, I'm not going to be able to better what you've just said about me, but um, yeah, so I'm a sports therapist and a wellbeing coach, and uh, I work with lots of people, trying to help fix them, get them fitter, um, and and kind of help them sort of be the best that they can be in their lives, really. Uh, and I'm still striving for that myself, obviously. Yep. Yeah. And what are you what are you working on at the moment? What's what's new? Well, I'm currently working, which is wonderful, and you'll be pleased to hear this, with Spurs uh, Women's Football Club. Yep. So I work two nights a week with them. I'm currently working with the under 18s and under 16s. For those is, that can't see as well, which is everyone apart from me, she's in her Tottenham uh, in her Tottenham women's kit. Yeah. I wore it especially for you. I am actually <laughs> working with the girls later though. So uh, yeah, so that's um, that's great. So it's great to work with uh, young sports women. Um, and not just on a fitness level, you know, I'm working sort of on a physiotherapy level and also as when I'm talking about coaching, I'm talking about, you know, discussing with them, you know, their personal development issues, things that hold them back mentally. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a very, it's a very holistic approach and it's, yep. it's yeah, it's great. And as amongst other things I do, you know, but that's yep. one of the big projects at the moment. Brilliant. We'll come back to that. Okay. Speed, speed round. Yeah. Ooh, um, ooh. Holding onto the chair. The people, our audience seems to like our um, uh, our fight of nineties nightclubs. So I've got, I've got two. We're going to kick <laughs> off with that. Turn mills or fabric? Oh gosh, fabric. 
That was tough for you, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. That was. Have you seen? Have you been to? Have you seen what they've done with turn mills? No. It's horrific. Don't go no, down I there. I don't want to go. Don't. It'll just don't walk down yeah. turn mill street. Yeah. Um, autumn or spring? Spring. Oh no, that's tough. But spring because spring. all the birds are making babies and I love it. Final decision. Spring. Yeah, spring. Yeah. Um, staycation or vacation? Ooh, I've been doing a lot of staycations, but for me, vacation. Yeah. Vacation. Yeah. So you like to get away? I love to get away. <clears throat> cool. So, um, when I introduced you, I talked about your energy, like you bring that energy. How do you have so much energy all the time? Um, well, I suppose it's, <laughs> don't, it's definitely nothing to do with sleep on my part because I am a rubbish sleeper. Like last night, I think I got about three or four hours. Um, I fire on all cylinders when I get lots of sleep, but generally I think it's just this huge enthusiasm for life and for people. Yep. It just, that's what drives me and that's what makes me feel energized being around other people. Yep. I just get to be, you know, like, like you and I, I just get to hang out with lovely people and that gives me energy. Yep. And your children, they give you energy. Yeah, it's just simple advice, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Why I'm do just, you, I love life. Why do you think some people just don't? get that then why do some people because you um, i think i was watching um uh, winnie the pooh last night yeah. and there's that character is it eeyore oh eeyore i love eeyore <laughs> <laughs> you're the opposite to eeyore aren't you? you're t- you're t- you're tigger right you? i'm tigger or yeah i quite like piglet as well but yeah i am tigger i suppose so yeah. I, I meet a lot of eeyores who wants to be yeah. tigger is it any advice yeah. for, the, for the eeyores well, out there i think there's so many there's so many contributory factors to that it's such a complex question yeah but if we're keeping it light um i suppose people don't always um they don't always have the benefit of great friendships and they don't always have the benefit of doing things that they love yeah um so happiness is something that they're searching for but they don't truly grasp yeah so for me work life is life work there's it's a it's one whole thing say that again i think that's a really important point work life is life work you know it it all comes in it's all one i don't i don't try and differentiate between the two yeah i see it as one whole part of me and what everything i do so i think if you love what you do then that makes you happier yeah so you don't actually you're not always seeking and searching for it yeah so that's probably one reason no i love that and um, in terms of in terms of your energy, then do you yeah. have a crash? Uh, yeah, I crashed last night about ten o'clock and hit a wall, and then realised that um, I still had a really important email to write, and I just did it. I just pushed myself, but I do crash if I've been having a very physical day. Yeah. But generally, um, I have this ability to keep pushing through. Yeah. Uh, but I do try now to to have this cut off point, and I do I do start the day with a meditation, and I start the day with yoga. Yeah. And that sets me up. Yeah. So I do I manage I kind of manage myself better now. Yeah. I think that was I mean we'll go on to mental health week, but yeah. I think that was one of the things that we had the big happiness and humans conference on Friday, yeah, didn't we? I which think was that, amazing. Thank you. But I think the the biggest thing, obviously, listening to Jana. Um, yeah, who's been a previous guest absolutely. on here, just talking about listening to your body. Yeah, of course. Because uh, let's, let's do tips. I mean, one tip that I always have is like my secret little tip. I always have lunch every day. Yeah. I always have it on my own. Yeah. I never take my phone with me and I'm always in silence. God, I like her. Um, and I just, I, I know in the afternoon, I feel yeah. it in my body if I haven't done that. Yeah. It, sometimes it's only 15 minutes. It doesn't matter, does um, it? Have you got any little tips? Uh, well, a bit similar to that. I always, I, I have a dog and I've always had dogs all my life. Dog's name? 
Lolly. Lolly, great name. And yeah, and before that, I had Maybe for 17 years. So I've always yeah. had the responsibility of a dog, and I always, always take time out of my day to go and walk with my dog. Yep. Now, I might have peaceful time during that time where I connect with nature, and then there might be a time when I'm listening to an audio book, but it's my time, and it's my space, and it's just me and my dog, and that is essential for me, and that's part of my well-being program. Yep. If I don't get that, I struggle. Yep. Um, mind and body are both obviously both parts of fitness. Yeah. What... Um, why do you think it's taken so long? Because people seem to have got the body bit first, didn't they? Yeah. And now they're starting to get the mind bit yeah. and you cross over the two. Is one more important than the other? How do you, how do you make yeah. sure you're looking after them both? What's a... Definitely not. You have to approach them both in the same way. I love Jana's approach, Jana's approach, sorry. Um, mental fitness, because it really is. Your mind is crucial to your physical fitness. If your mind's not there you literally cannot achieve anything physically. Yep. You've got to be connected. The two have got to be in tune with one another. Yep. So, for instance, when Liz and I were training earlier, you know, if, the, if I allowed her mind to suddenly take hold of her, she wouldn't run that hill. Yep. If I encourage her to recognise what's happening in her mind, she will then... Her mind will take over and it will just keep her going. Yep. Um, I do think that there was a lot of stigma, which we understand, a lot of stigma attached to mental health. It was seen as a weakness. Yep. Now it's not. It's a bit like therapy. It's a bit like counselling. It's not embarrassing to say that you're seeing somebody to help yep. your mental health. It's actually strength. It shows that you, you've, you know, you're strong enough to identify that you need support. So the same way that you'd hire a personal trainer to motivate you and to, you know, to whip your ass and get you in shape, you know, you, you see a coach or you see somebody else that can support you mentally. Yep. So the two, they, they, they work together. And the sooner everyone embraces that, that you know, thought process, the better we will live our lives. We'll be a lot happier. No, I agree. I mean, we, Chris and I started our first business at 25 years old and the first thing we did was get a coach. Yeah. Um, and at the time it was still seen as a bit weird. Yeah. And now it's a bit, it's completely it's mainstream the now. It's the norm. But yeah. I can't imagine doing anything no. you wouldn't just like Absolutely. with Tottenham the women yeah. team why why would you not have one absolutely um let's just go back let's go back you grew up in London it's far it's, there's not that many when you at work in London yeah. the beautiful thing about London is such an international city yeah, isn't it and great. let's not even get into the Brexit part no. of that <laughs> <laughs> but um you grew up in London yeah tell us about that tell North us some... London girl yep and all my life actually so um, my father passed away a few years ago, but he lived in the same house that I grew up. So that ha that was our house for 45, 46 years. Wow, where was in that? In New Southgate, just off of Waterfall Road. So I was very blessed because at the back of our house, uh, people thought it was a bit spooky, but we thought it was great. <laughs> we had a cemetery, the Great Northern Cemetery. Yeah. So that was our that was our extended garden. Wow. And so opposite us, we had a private school pitch. So yep. we used to just bunk in there, climb over the gates, use that as our football pitch in the evenings. Yeah. And then uh, we used to go over, climb the wall at the end of the garden, and we'd be in the Great Northern Cemetery. Yeah. So we grew up. My my brothers, I've got two brothers and a sister. And I'm the youngest. So we lived in that cemetery, basically, you yeah. know, looking for slow worms, um, you know, air rifles, shooting pigeons. Um, what a great vision. Just literally, we were kids that were so connected with nature. Yeah. And kids used to come and knock on our door to see all the pets and the th we used to keep snakes, yeah. ferrets, 
We even had a fox cub that we rescued. Yeah. You know, we were the nature family of our area. Yeah. And our parents encouraged it, even though we were, our family was a bit broken. We were blessed in that way and we had yeah. a lot of freedom. It was wonderful. Wow. And have, have you got any tips for parents now then? Because as you know, our vision is freedom to be human. Yeah. But I, I fit into both camps with my children, which is I want them to have freedom, but I'm absolutely paranoid that every yes. single day there's going to be some weirdo out there or something. Yeah. How do you how do you give your kids freedom and also protect them? Okay, well that's that's a tough one because I'm as a parent, you know, I'm a few years ahead of you, but I faced this and I had to confront that fear myself. But I also knew that if I didn't give my kids a certain amount of freedom, they wouldn't be functional human beings yeah. at the end of the day and they wouldn't be able to interact with other people. And I tell you the best thing I think I did I taught them from a very young age to trust their instincts, yeah. trust their gut. So when we'd walk to school in the mornings, I'd say to them, okay, if you ever sense that something doesn't feel right, always be looking around you, taking everything in. Yeah. If you sense that something doesn't feel right or someone doesn't feel right, then you have to have something in place. You have to avoid that person or avoid that situation. So you teach them to, to tune in. Yep. And then when they do go out at secondary school and they have to start travelling independently, which they do, because you can't hold their hands, um, and they go out on their bikes and stuff, they have this sense of awareness. Yep. And it certainly served my kids really well because they do have that, a great sense of awareness. Why do you think companies are so bad at that as well? I'm just taking this fast forward yeah, here because sure. we see that when, um, when we're working with huge companies where they employ people they pay them a hundred thousand pound a year yeah but then when they say they want to work from home yeah they have a heart attack so they're they're um they're happy to pay someone a hundred thousand pound a year yeah. they give them responsibility to manage millions of pounds worth of of advertising <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm coughing you, got, you got my cough yeah <laughs> <clears throat> but then they don't trust them to work from home like it's a control issue yeah do you, do you see parallels between parenting yeah. and yeah there's a paranoia and paranoia is such an unhealthy emotion. I've spent a lot of my life, actually, <coughs> suffering with a mild paranoia. And Where do you think that comes from? It comes from my childhood, yeah. definitely. And it comes from not feeling worthy and not feeling good enough. And, it's, and, and, and then questioning everything about yourself. In a corporate environment... It's a control thing. I think that um, the way we've managed, you know, traditionally the way businesses have run um, organisations, you know, where, the way organisations have been yeah. run is, you know, you, you're di you dictate a little bit. People have to, they don't get the, the autonomy to make decisions. So it all comes from the top. Yeah. yeah. We're going to tell you exactly how we want you to do it. And um, I think that is changing. You tapped into it in, you know, the, the conference last week. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I think it's incredible how you can pay someone so much money and then not allow them to just get on with the job. Yep. Uh, but I do see a really encouraging change. I agree. And I do think that there is an element of paranoia in the way businesses run and parents have the same with their children. Yep. Um, paranoia can be very destructive and you have to, you have to confront where it comes from. Yep. You have to dig deep and say, right, what's driving that? Yep. No, that's great advice, um, and not something I thought we'd discuss today, but it's a really good point. 
Um, let's talk about another thing that I always find funny about you is you think you're really old, but you're not. <laughs> yeah, well, I am next to you. <laughs> <laughs> you always reference it. I feel it. really young, but I just know that I'm really old. <laughs> but you're not, though, are you? Why, um, why, why do you think... Well, no, actually, I think it's kind of scary when you get to 50. Okay, it feels... Because you get to 30 and you go, oh, my God, I really am a grown adult now. I'm, I'm really responsible. Well, I'm not just saying this, but I definitely... You're not... You're actually... I'm 50, 51. Bloody yeah. hell, I didn't even... Yeah. Close to that. So... Um, so when you get to 40, you go, oh, holy moly, now it's getting serious. Yeah. And there is a lot of pressure on women. Guys tend to grow into this wonderful age thing and they all look cool and, you know, they all... By the way, I think, lot... that, I think that's changing. It is. I hope it's changing and I think women have to force it to change as well. I think I actually think it's changing for the worse for men. Do you? Yeah, I, I think th- yeah, the whole Instagram, the looks, yeah. all that it's kind of stuff. It's such a load of bloody... It's, it's complete nonsense. It is... It's superficial, and it's and I'm recognising more and more and more that I just need to stop referencing my age. Yep. It is unnecessary, and the more I, I'm around people like you that to actually pull me on it... I'm going to keep calling you out on yeah, it. Yeah, but I love being pulled on it, because actually, you're right, I'm comfortable with whatever age group. I work with kids, I work with people in their 20s, I hang out with people in their yeah. 20s. You're my, in my head, your mind is a 22-year-old, yeah. that's how I see you. And people are happy to hang out with me, so why am I... Yeah, you're right, I've got to stop. Yep. It's nonsense. Absolute so, nonsense. <laughs> um, why we um, we had a couple of beers on Friday, and you were you were talking about the importance of nice nightclubs on our culture. Oh. and obviously <laughs> yeah. I sort of alluded it to in the turn mills and the fabric thing. Why why do you think nightclubs? As a, I, I would like you to answer this as a as a parent, as an employer, as a, a Londoner. Why do you think nightclubs are so important to our culture? Okay, so not just nightclubs, okay, but nightclubs form a big part of it. It's nighttime. Um, it's the things that you go and do as a young person when you're growing up. Music is my massive passion. It's my big passion, okay? So I'm at a gig every couple of weeks. Yeah. Now, when I was growing up, one place you went to to listen to music, okay, was nightclubs, you know. That's where music, it's where you discovered new music, not just dance music. Um, but you know, you go to venues. So all these nighttime venues was where you, you know, you 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 learn how to dance. You learn how to date. You learn how to do so many things. You learn how to be human, yep. Matt. And it's such an integral part or a necessity, I think, in our culture to take it away and dilute it down. I think our kids growing up are going to miss out on so many wonderful experiences. Yeah. So nightclubs, like you know, fabric closing which yeah. was such an iconic part of our growing up, was such a, a travesty. And, and I think I was talking about my friend Alan Miller, wasn't I? Yes, you were. And, I mean, he's such a huge character. I mean, he'd be brilliant for your podcast. I mean, this guy just blows you away. When we talk about energy, he is one of the most amazing forces of energy I've ever come across. Yeah. Now, he, when Fabric was closing, he formed an association called the Nighttime Industries Association. Yeah. And he said, we have to stop this. It's all very well gentrifying Soho and all these, you know, Dalston and all these places, but we need to keep night uh, nightlife alive. Yeah. You know, Soho, I used to go out clubbing in Soho. I used to go to gay clubs, you know, straight clubs. It didn't matter. It was all how people came together. We learn yep. about each other. And music is the one thing that brings people together. So if you close clubs, you're going to lose the, one of the essences of what brings, you know, the essence of, 
like socialising. So I'm re- that's that's one of the reasons I think it's so hugely important. I think this is one of the fascinating things because because as you know, on the the second of June, I'm going to give up alcohol for a year. Yes, I do. So I do. Yeah, I've read everything up on it, and it, I'm, I hope feel free to if you listen to this podcast and think I'm wrong, just call me. But basically, the stats show that if you're a moderate drinker, you're going to outlive. Um, a someone who doesn't drink yeah so yeah. i wanted to understand why that was because yeah. i also wanted to find out is alcohol a toxin is it a poison but basically what and i'm, I'm really simplifying this the reason drinkers outlive moderate drinkers outlive people who don't drink is because of the social impact yeah nothing to do with the actual alcohol yeah. and, the, and the benefits of it because alcohol is such a socializing impact on us yeah and we had a really weird bit of data come out of the happiness index the other day yeah we found out at one of our clients that the people that smoke yeah um are better connectors in the company and we were oh. like this is so weird because this is counterintuitive to everything that we know, know but it's, it's but it's the fag break mm. isn't it it is it's a secret um, they're now like the secret society so they all go out and they just they 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 hold on to each other yeah. and their little habit together so how do how do companies learn from this because you said music is a great connector yeah but very rarely do companies use music to connect people yeah um, it's a big mistake uh, people tend to use alcohol and the socializing we're now i've seen that in the data we're smoking but how do people use all these you use the word human music being a really human thing yeah how do we use these human things to connect in an environment at work have you got any tips on that? Well, actually, I've never... Gosh, it's interesting because I've never really thought about it. But you could be onto something there. Because I think, you know, if I was running a business, I would try and bring people together through those common values. So I would look at music, I would look at exercise, and I would try and create um, forums or events that they could all do where they could connect on that level. Yep. So you know like everyone goes out for the fag break and they chat and they talk. Yep. But actually if you went to a gig once a month, okay, then you'd all come away going, oh my God, that was brilliant, that band were great and you'd be talking yep. about the music. Or if you all went on some, you know, like fitness thing or you, you know, or even if it was quad biking, like a lot of yep. businesses do stuff like that. So actually, yeah, I think we just need to think outside the box. Yep. We need to find opportunities to bring people together and not base it around alcohol and I mean you can go to a gig a music gig you don't have to drink yep. you can just actually get high and get re- a buzz just on the music yep. and that's what dance does dance music clubs you don't have to do drugs yeah not everyone does drugs not everyone drinks a lot of people and a lot of younger people now realizing that you can just get high yeah on the pure essence of what you're hearing yeah no I... so yeah and, but I... Sorry, go on. Sorry, Karen. And moderation, you know, drinking in moderation is something that I think the newer generation are understanding. Yeah. And I think that is fantastic because uh, uh, it is all about moderation. I mean, that's one of the reasons is because the, the younger people coming into the, the company that I own, they lots of them don't drink. No. And it's made me question my own yeah, approach to it. But when you realise that actually it's great to give up something but you've got to replace it with something and I think you make a really good point yeah. there about how you can think about how you integrate music and things like that Yeah. because the thing that I think what happens at the moment is people organise the, the sort of cheesy away day don't they where everyone cringes and they go yeah. oh my god know, we've got to go on the away yeah. day but yeah. you've kind of just got to build it into the fabric of the company haven't yeah. you because yeah. um, the amount of people and ask people for feedback what do they want yeah. what do they want to do Yeah. you know it doesn't have to be your cheesy away day that you're dictating 
have a forum, get them to say the things that they like. Yep. Um, to bring us on to the top, one of the topics of this week, which is Mental Health Awareness Week, yeah. we would, even before we went on here, we were talking about suicide and things yeah. like that. In your fields that you cross of mind and body, have you got any advice for people in Mental Health Awareness Week? Um, yes, I, I think there's probably lots of things you could say, but I think um, that actually having time to sit with yourself and, and kind of register your own happiness and work out how you feel. You know, give yourself time to think about how you feel. Because sometimes I think we spend our lives so fast and we're on automatic pilot. And we don't really truly connect with our own feelings or our level of happiness. I think that's a bit of a mistake. You know, we go through the motions. We distract ourselves with our phones. What was wonderful about the conference last week was how we literally have these phone addictions and we don't really give ourselves time to sit and understand how we're feeling yeah so there's constantly a distraction in place to stop us connecting with ourselves but actually look i mean if you and i weren't sitting here talking now i mean i'd spend time i go out in my garden each day to eat my breakfast if it's like this and i just listen to nature and i kind of give myself time to think about how i feel yeah i think mental health and mental awareness is about just taking time. Um, that's a simple thing. I mean, there are lots of other things you can do. Communication for me is a big thing. Yep. Talking to people. You know, people that are feeling low and that really get depressed, they retreat. They don't know how to communicate anymore. They, they actually don't think anyone can understand them or will understand or want to understand them or can talk to them. So they literally push you away, they force you away. And we have to find a way to reach people when they go to that place. So we have to have an awareness of other people's mental health, but also our own first. So it starts with us, and then it starts with this awareness of, of, you know, looking after those around us. Yep. And if you you were a CEO of an organisation now, um, what would you do to drive awareness in your company? Um, I think I would probably um, adopt an app like Jano has done. Okay. I think that's brilliant. If anyone RKO, wants to download it, it's yeah. a completely free app. It's called yeah. RKO. It's great. I mean, that, and it's so easy to use. I love that. Okay. So I think what that's doing is that's kind of saying to everybody, um, okay, let's not make this something that needs to be a big deal. But let's all look after. I look after each other. I would have. I would literally instill this kind of, um, you know, this kind of um, attitude in people that we all have to have compassion, and we all have to look after each other. I love. Com- listen, being competitive is great, but you know something? There's far too much competition in the workplace. People get, that's where paranoia comes from. If you have more, if you use compassion as a motive in the workplace, people are aware of each other's mental health, they are sensitive to one another's mental health, and everyone works together. It's just a much better and more human way to approach it. Such good advice. Um, Isabel, as, a, as probably one of the pastiest, my, my 100% Celtic genes show, <laughs> I'm going to have to start moving to wrap up because this is 27 minutes and I'll probably... I'm you a bad advert. A a, I never tan, I just go red. <laughs> but um, I want to go into wrap up. Um, it's been, I've learned so much so far. Um, what's the biggest low of your career? 
Oh, um, there, there's been a couple, but I think the one that stands out is when I went back from maternity leave after having my son, reluctantly after four and a half, five months. And I was probably suffering with postnatal depression and didn't recognise it. Yep. I was sleeping on average three hours a night, sometimes not sleeping at all. And I had to go and manage a team and I didn't manage them very well. Yep. And I wasn't working in what I would say was a very happy uh, you know, environment, and it was it was tough, and I I missed a couple of mistakes that staff made. One of them actually sent out to six thousand people a newsletter I'd written, and she cc'd everyone instead of bcc'd. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't sleep for two nights, thinking, oh my god, the fallout of this is yeah. huge. And that was before GDPR. Yeah. So that was tough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, highest moment in your career? Oh gosh, several. Um, I would say the events that I've done, when I was in the city, um, I did some massive events. And when I used to work many years ago with Krug Champagne, we used to do brilliant events with yeah. like loads of celebs and, and you know princes and princesses. They were fun, but that yeah. was a bit superficial. But I remember doing an event, a couple of events, one with the Institute of Ideas, and they had... Is that all, a real thing? Yes, I mean, it's, you, what a great you name. have got to tap into that organisation. They are yeah. mind-blowing. Yeah. And the Battle of Ideas, their festival every year at the Barbican, is absolutely amazing. We can go together. Yeah. It's brilliant. And I did their annual dinner for them once, and it was all the most brilliant people in academia. I was overwhelmed. And then I did a charity dinner with Kenneth Branagh, Yep. And he didn't have time to write his speech. He asked me to write it. So for those that don't know, who is Kenneth Branagh? Kenneth Branagh is, um, he's Sir Kenneth Branagh now. And he is an, he's a, a fine English actor. But he also does a huge amount of works, uh, work in charities. And um, I, represent, I was looking after the charity that he was working for. Well, I was doing a fundraising event. Yep. And I wrote his speech for him. He phoned me up and he said, Isabel, we haven't met. But I haven't got time to write this speech. I don't know who I'm meant to be thanking. Can you do it for me? And I said, of course. Nervous wreck. Yeah. Wrote it and he didn't change a word. But he obviously delivered it in true Kenneth Branagh style. And it was one of the proudest moments. I was like, I wrote Kenneth's (laughs) speech. (laughs) It was great. So, yeah, that was great. That was one of the best. Brilliant. Um, so we're gonna. I'm gonna leave you with a final word, um, Isabel. I just wanted to say we needed at least four hours. So this is, <laughs> yeah. there's so much stuff I more. Do talk a lot, so, I know. No, but I know. no, but there's just this is such good stuff, and we could we so much more we could have discussed. But thank you. Thank I'm you. gonna leave the final um, words with you. What's the biggest learning in your career? Um, oh, to not. Be, well, I've only just learnt it now. To not be fearful. Don't let fear stop you from you it will prevent you from your own success if you allow fear to hold you back it's just a feeling you've you've literally got to confront it and and be and not be frightened to fail i've spent my life being scared of failing and now i've realized that it's all part of the learning and that it is as simple as that just grab it just get out there and don't let fear hold you back isabel you've inspired me thank you thank you